Coming to you from the Woodland Baptist Ministry Center, home of the Woodland Baptist Church, on the 26th of March, 2023, from persecutor to persecuted. Have you ever tried to change direction in your life? You're headed one way, and you need to go in a different way. Maybe you haven't even seen any need for a change, and then you were confronted by something, and you saw, oh, what I've been doing is all wrong, and I need to go a different way. Change is hard, isn't it? Change is hard. I want to talk about that a little bit today and use the example of Apostle Paul and see some of the factors that were involved in that change, but also draw some principles out of this last section in chapter one of the book of Colossians. So I invite you to take your Bible, turn with me to Colossians chapter one. I'm going to begin in verse 24 and read through the end of this chapter, which is only... To 29. Colossians 1 24. Hmm? Wouldn't help you. It says, Now I rejoice in my suffering for your sake, and in my flesh I am filling up what is lacking in Christ's afflictions for the sake of his body, that is the church of which I became a minister according to the stewardship from God that was given to me for you to make the word of God fully known. The mystery hidden from the ages and generations, but now revealed to his saints. To them, God chose to make known how great among the Gentiles are the riches of the glory of this mystery, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. Him we proclaim, warning everyone and teaching everyone with all wisdom that we may present everyone mature in Christ. For this I toil, struggling with all his energy that he powerfully works within me. I want to look at the life of Paul just momentarily is a backdrop to what Paul is saying here to the church at Colossae. If we understand where he came from and where he was at the time when he wrote this, it gives us some insight into not only the things that brought about change in his life, but some of the things that can impact us as well. And then the call that is on our life that Paul reflects on here. This passage starts with an interesting statement that isn't immediately clear to us. In fact, could be confusing. Verse 24, he says, Now I rejoice in my suffering for your sake and in my flesh, I am filling up what is lacking in Christ's afflictions for the sake of his body, that is the church. 
And you might look at this passage and go, wait a minute, you mean what Jesus did on the cross and dying for our sins wasn't adequate for our salvation? Is that what he's saying? And the answer is, of course not. No, what he's saying is Jesus Christ offered up himself and suffered the afflictions of the judgment against him, went to the cross, offered up his life. He says, but the ministry to the church was not done with the offering of Jesus Christ. In order for the gospel to go out, others would have to come along and add to that affliction that Jesus Christ suffered in order for the gospel to get out. And so when he says, I am filling up what is lacking in Christ's afflictions, he's saying what Jesus Christ did was totally sufficient for my salvation and for your salvation. But in order to get the word out, it's going to cost believers more. Apostle Paul uses a strange word here that we wouldn't put together. We would say these two words do not fit. They don't go together. One is sufferings and rejoicing. <laughs> How many really like to suffer? Let's have a party. No. Apostle Paul goes, I am, I am so joyful in my sufferings for your sake. Well, obviously, we've talked a little bit about that. It is not a matter that you delight in the sufferings. What you're delighting in is what they will accomplish. And Apostle Paul says, I am, I am rejoicing that my sufferings will have a benefit for you. You ever bought a present for somebody? No? Come on. Anybody ever bought a present? You ever made a present for anybody? Everybody, anybody ever think about possibly giving a present? No. Of course, if we were going to give a present to somebody, let's say we're going down to the store, it's going to cost us some money. And there's some things we would look at and go, Man, I'd really like to give that to somebody. I don't have the money for that. You know, if I could buy you all a new car, I would. I just don't have the resources. That cost is too great. And so we got to look at what it would cost. But it's, we know that it's going to cost something, right? And Apostle Paul goes, to that end, I rejoice that my sufferings on your behalf will actually get you what I want to give you. And he's going to talk about that in a minute. But you know, this shouldn't come as a surprise to us. Back in the Gospel of John, when Jesus was talking to his disciples in the upper room, he said this, I said these things to you that you may be at peace. In the world, you will have tribulation." You're going to have troubles here in this world. As Jesus was talking to his disciples, he says, but take heart, I've overcome the world. Whatever they give to you, I'm greater than that. 
But let's look at, at Apostle Paul for a moment and think about the change that went on in his life. Now, there's several passages we could turn to, but I'm going to invite you to, to go with me to the book of Acts, chapter 26. In Acts chapter 26, Paul is recounting his history. And in the passage we're going to look at, he talks about what he was like as he gives a defense to King Agrippa about uh, he had been called in before King Agrippa. King Agrippa was supposed to make a judgment on who he was. And and then find him guilty or innocent. But Paul is talking about what has happened in his life. And this is what he says. Let me tell you what I was like before King Agrippa. I myself, verse 9, chapter 26, I myself was convinced they ought to do many things in opposing the name of Jesus of Nazareth. I did so in Jerusalem. I not only, not only locked up many of the saints in prison after, after receiving authority from the chief priests, but when they were put to death, I cast my vote against them. And I punished them often in all the synagogues, and I tried to make them blaspheme, and in raging fury against them, I persecuted them, even the foreign cities. Wow. <clears throat> Sounds like a man with a mission, doesn't it? Paul, then known as Saul, says, I was the devout man of God. At least I would have thought of myself that way. I thought I was serving God by going up against this upstart religion, followers of Jesus. And he says, so much so that I was at the very heart of the persecution for the church. I went after them. I was the chief persecutor or prosecutor, if you will. I went and said, we've got to exterminate this menace. Apostle Paul says, and that's who I was, as he describes himself to King Agrippa. And you go, wow. That sounds like a person with a mission, a person with their mind made up, a person who was headed in one direction, that's it. But there came a day when he was doing what he said he was he had set himself to do. He was headed to a, a foreign city to persecute some more Christians. And on the road to Damascus, we read in Acts chapter 9, the Lord stopped him in his tracks. And I, go, I don't want to go through the whole story. I think you know it. But in Acts chapter 9, uh, we read that the Lord stops him dead in his tracks on the road to Damascus. He blinds him speaks to him and said, 
I'm going to send somebody to you. And he's taken on into town and he's blinded now. And the Lord appears to a believer there in Damascus, Ananias. And he says, Ananias, I want you to go and see Paul. And of course, Ananias, not being an ignorant person, says, Lord, are you kidding me? Do you know who Paul is? You know who Saul is? He is the chief one that's coming after people like me. And you want me to go to him? Wherever he is in the city, I want to be at the other end of town. I don't want to go to him. And the Lord is talking to Ananias. And I love his heart. Because as he talks to Ananias, he says, Go, he is my chosen instrument. Verse 15, chapter 9. Go, he's my chosen instrument of mine to carry my name before the Gentiles and kings and the children of Israel. And he says, For I will show him how much he must suffer for the sake of my name. It's interesting. Um, years and years and, okay, decades ago, I was candidating out of seminary looking for a church to pastor. And uh, I went to several congregations. Um, and in the process, usually you go before, I don't know if you're familiar with the process, but you go before someone like a search committee or the elders of the church, depending on what they have established. And one of the things they want to do is they want to hear you preach, but they want to sit down with you and ask questions of you. You know, and you go, all right. And they would ask questions about things that they wanted answers to. Uh, and I quickly found out, sort of as an aside here, that whatever questions they were asking me is questions that they were dealing with in the church, didn't know the answer to, and hoping I would resolve all the issues before I even came. It doesn't work that way, but... Anyway, suppose you were applying for a job, and you were looking in the want ads, and they said, wanted a... A willing worker, willing to work long hours and be used and abused by the people you even were dealing with. Can't guarantee you any salary. And it's probably, there are times that it will be life-threatening to you. And you will probably end up with scars internally and externally. And the pay is always going to be low. You may go hungry some days. You may not even have a good place to stay. We can't guarantee that. Would you like to sign up? And our answer would be, no, but I know some people I'd like to send your way. Apostle Paul says exactly what I got into. 
Tom read for us in 2 Corinthians some of those things. As he's recounting to the church there at Corinth, he said, I'm bragging about this stuff. I only brag because you're concerned about whether I have the authority to talk to you about the things of God, and I do. But I'm unwilling to go through the process to get it to you. And as he talked about that, and Tom read it for us, imprisonments, beatings, uh, 40 lashes, less one, five times. Can you imagine what the back of Apostle Paul looked like? Permanent scarred. Scarred for life. He said, I was stoned, left for dead. I was shipwrecked three times, one time, I spent a, a night and a day in the, in the sea. Didn't know if I'd be rescued or not. He says, on journeys, in dangers from rivers, robbers, even my own people came after me. Dangers from Gentiles, dangers in the city, dangers in the wilderness, all these things. And the question should be in our hearts and our minds, how in the world could Paul go from being a persecutor to be willing to be persecuted for the exact same subject? How does a person make that kind of transformation? And they say, well, it's because God stopped him in the road, made him blind. That's how. He says, no, I think what's going on is Paul saw the truth. When Paul saw the truth and God called him to serve him, then Paul was ready to serve. And so we want to see uh, the first principle I have for you. Believers have the privilege of participating in Christ's sufferings for the church. That's what Apostle Paul says. I have the privilege. I rejoice. I rejoice in my sufferings so that the church can grow. He says, that's what I rejoice in. You go, well, I don't get it, Paul. How can you put up with all this stuff? I tell you, Paul is going to tell us by the end what it takes for him to do this. But I want you to know this, not going any further. A massive change in the direction of your life is possible through the power of God in your life. So whether you're talking about Apostle Paul in the historical context, Saul going to becoming Paul and going from a persecutor to being persecuted. It is because of the work of Jesus Christ in life. And the question should be for each one of us, why would anyone suffer like this? When he remembers what he was doing to the church 
and now it was going to be done to him, why would anybody make that change from one thing to the next? And we see it here in the passage, at least a glimpse. He says, I am filling up what is lacking in Christ's afflictions for the sake of his body, that is the church, of which I became a minister according to the stewardship from God, which was given to me for you to make the word of God fully known. Here was a man who was well-versed in scripture. And I believe what God did graciously in the, in the mind and the heart of Apostle Paul was he, God connected all the dots. And he goes, you know this thing that you know back here in the Old Testament? That points to Jesus. You know this thing here in the Old Testament that you know? Maybe the, all the feasts and all the offerings? Jesus. <laughs> and each one of those elements that were found that Paul was so well versed in, God made the connection and the dots were attached and Apostle Paul came to the realization that what he knew now had some meaning and had some reason and some understanding. He says, I became a minister according to the stewardship from God, which was given to me for you. It's interesting. Paul uses a word oftentimes to describe himself. He says, I am a bond slave of Jesus Christ. I am a servant of Jesus Christ. God has called me. I am at his disposal. Whatever he says, I'm going to do. He doesn't use that word in this passage. He uses the word that we have in our English language, the word deacon, as deaconos. It means to be a steward. And so we have this great picture that Apostle Paul, who saw himself as a slave to Jesus Christ, wasn't a slave to the church. He was a servant to the church. He was to serve the church. God called him. He was his slave, but he was to serve the church. And that's laid out in this passage. And he says, to do what? In verse 25, at the end of 25, he says, to make the word of God fully known. He says, God has given me the job of doing the thing that he did to me, which is connect the dots. Take this truth and attach it to this truth and bring them together. And it centers on the person of Jesus Christ. How do I know? Because he's not done yet. He says this. To make the word of God fully known. Verse 26. The mystery hidden for ages and generations. But now revealed to his saints. Okay, we've got a mystery. A mystery as described here in scripture. Is basically something that's hidden. Something that's not known. We need that. Some sort of. Information. We need some sort of revelation for us to see this part and then understand it. 
He says, it says, now revealed to all the saints, to them God chose to make known how great among the Gentiles are the riches of the glory of this mystery, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. So what is this mystery? Christ in you, the hope of glory. And you're not looking at me dumbfounded. You should look at me dumbfounded. You start looking at the life of Christ. Who is Christ about? We would say, he's the Jewish Messiah. That's what Christ means. Right? And Paul says, I want to give you a great mystery. Jesus Christ is for more than the Jews. That's the great mystery. Everybody in the Old Testament, as especially as a Jew, would look towards the Messiah coming. And then I'll tell you, it was Jesus Christ. He came. He's the Messiah. He's the Savior. He's the Deliverer. But you want to know a mystery that was hidden from, for ages and people didn't know? It's also true for you as a Gentile. What's so valuable? Christ in you, the hope of glory. Paul then goes on to say, this price that I'm paying with the suffering in my body is worth it. The high value of the message compensates for the price paid. says this is such great value. <laughs> Jesus Christ gave us a glimpse of this in Matthew 13. He says the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant searching for fine pearls who on finding one pearl of great price went and sold all that he had and bought it. Did you catch that? Let's try it again, short person. He says, who, finding one pearl of great value, went and sold all that he had and bought it. Apostle Paul says, this message is so valuable. It is like that pearl of great price, worth everything to get it. So the question is, to you and to me, what's valuable to you? What's valuable to you? And whatever we say is valuable falls by the wayside when push comes to shove. Why would Paul endure all the sufferings and the beatings when at any point he could go, this isn't worth it. But Paul had come to the conclusion that this message, this great pearl, Christ in you, the hope of glory, is so worth it that it's worth whatever it costs me to get it to you. So what does it mean to have Christ in you? 
inter interesting to me that when Jesus was talking to the Samaritan woman, she goes, well, you, you worship in Jerusalem and we worship up here. And Jesus goes, one day that's not going to happen. It isn't going to be a worship in Jerusalem. It isn't going to be worship here in Samaria. What's going to be is you're going to worship in spirit. What's it like to say my greatest treasure is Christ's life in me. <clears throat> Do you remember the horrible pictures coming out of Afghanistan as our military pulled out? There was lots of stuff going on and this isn't a political commentary. This is a picture that I want you, I want to paint to you of the people who are desperate. When the last flights were, were leaving, there were still people left behind. And they were crowding the airport and breaking through the barriers and running up to the planes. And here you can see a plane getting ready to, to take off and it's winding up its jets and people are climbing up on the wheels and the carriages and trying to hold on to the plane. And you know they're going to perish in a few minutes. But they said, if I stay here, I die. I will risk it to live. Apostle Paul comes along and he says, for me to live is Christ. The most important thing is Christ in you, the hope of glory. Do you see that? Is the question he asked for us. Do you see that? Can you imagine, and, and I want to make light of what I just was describing that went on in Afghanistan. But if you went to any one of those people who are in desperation and say, what will you give me to get on board? I give you everything I got. I give you even the clothes off my back. If I can get on board and get out of here get to, and become safe. Apostle Paul says, do we realize that the message is of greater importance than that. We don't act like it, do we? We say, eh. Jesus said something in Matthew chapter 7, which I, in, in light of this picture of the pearl of great value, of, of great price that, that the merchant wanted to purchase and was willing to sell all he had, listen to what he says in Matthew 7. Do not give dogs what is holy. Do not throw your pearls before pigs, lest they trample them underfoot and turn and attack you. You go, why would you give a pearl to a pig? What value do they see in it? 
no value. They'll trample it underfoot. It's of no value to them. It's not anything to eat. It is useless. And you know what? We're in a world where people have said, Christ in you, the hope of glory, is as a pearl before swine. They look at it and they go, it's useless. It has no value. Why in the world should I pay any attention? And certainly I'm not going to sell all that I have in order to gain that pearl when I don't think anything of pearls. Apostle Paul says, to me, the high value of this message compensates for any price that I would pay. Apostle Paul wasn't just talking about the suffering that he was afflicted with as they would beat on him, but I want you to look towards the end of this passage. And in verse 28, he says, Him we proclaim, Jesus Christ, we proclaim, warning everyone, teaching everyone with all wisdom. He says, I daily declare this truth. But I don't do it just with words. He says, I am, I am daily engaged in getting out this message. Why? I'll show you how important it is. And I know I'll get your attention. <clears throat> what if I told you that I know a doctor who's starting tomorrow going to dispense a cure for you fill in the blank? And dispense a cure for cancer. I could dispense a cure for Alzheimer's. How much are you willing to pay? And you go, I don't believe it. But what if it was true? Apostle Paul says, what I'm dealing with is true. And so I proclaim it. I let this message out everywhere I go. And it's in the present tense, which means I do it today and tomorrow and the next day. It's like brushing your teeth. Get up in the morning and brush my teeth. <laughs> and when I go to bed, brush my teeth. He says, when I get up and I go about my daily activities, I'm proclaiming Jesus Christ. Christ in you, the hope of glory. And he says, I'm doing this to the church, right? So he says, and he uses two uh, participles. In the process of proclaiming this, I'm warning and teaching, and warning and teaching, and warning and teaching. Don't miss out. Let me show you why. Don't miss out. Let me show you why. I want to take you to one other passage before we're done now. And this is over 1 Thessalonians chapter 2. Remember I said that Apostle Paul was proclaiming, but he, would, he didn't just use words. Turn with me to 1 Thessalonians chapter 2. And we'll look at a couple verses here. 
He had talked about uh, we didn't come with words of flattery and all those things. He says in verse 7, but we were gentle among you. Like a nursing mother taking care of her own children. So we're being affectionately desirous of you. They were ready to share with you, but not only the gospel of God, but also our own selves. Because you have become very dear to us. For if you remember, brothers, our labor and toil, we worked night and day that we might not be a burden to you while we proclaimed, there's that word, we proclaimed to you the gospel of God. And he just told you how he proclaimed it. He says, we were up night and day sharing, but we were also ministering to you like a mother would her child, caring for you. And you could see it. And you, you are witnesses, and God also, how holy and righteous and blameless was our conduct toward you believers. You know how, like a father with his children, we exhorted each one of you and encouraged you and charged you to walk in a manner worthy of God who called you into his own kingdom and glory. Going back to our, our passage in Colossians, he says, because of this, the value of the task defines the quality of our labor. This, this task is so great. It sets parameters about how we go about our job. There are some jobs that if you don't do them well, someone may or may not notice. But as somebody says, how would you like to fly to the moon in a spaceship crafted by people who are the lowest bidders? <laughs> I get you thinking for a moment, wouldn't you? And he says, for this, in verse 29, I toil, and that's the principal verb, daily I become weary. And how does he do it? Struggling with all his generally energy, excuse me, that he powerfully works within me. He says, I struggle at this job. And come to me easy. In fact, the word that he used for struggling is the word where we get to agonize over. He says, I agonize over this job. It isn't just all fun and games here. I've, I'm putting in my efforts here, my toil. I'm becoming weary on a daily basis so that you can have this great message and make it your own. And he says, I couldn't do it except he's speaking of God. He, with all his energy, he powerfully works in me. He says, I would have run out of juice a long time ago. 
I wouldn't be able to sustain this. I wouldn't be able to keep going from town to town and getting beat up and, and ridiculed and harassed, left for dead. He says, but I've got God. God's working in me. So I, I'm left with two questions for me, and maybe they apply to you too. First question is, do I see the value of this great pearl? Do I see the value of sharing this message? And then second of all, does that move me to labor to share it with others? Apostle Paul says, this is what drives me. This is what changed me. When I saw what this really was and God made all the connections and, and tied together all the dots of my information to the person of Jesus Christ, I go, wow, there it is. I'm going to invest all I have to make it mine and share it with others. Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, may our hearts believe what Apostle Paul knows. That this message is life-changing. And it is so valuable. It's whatever we could invest to have it, even though it is a free gift. And what we're talking about is a heart change in each individual. From seeing Jesus as maybe somebody to be ignored to the point where he becomes Lord of the life. operate in a world system that values everything but Jesus Christ to saying Jesus Christ is everything. Heavenly Father, may we see the value of this mystery be revealed to each one, not just to the Jews, but to the Gentiles as well. And then Heavenly Father, by your grace. May we share it with others. But we're going to need your power at work in our hearts and our lives to do so. We rely on you. We give thanks in Jesus' name. Amen.